0: This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Fuller's London Pride, an outstanding amber ale and the official beer of Premiership Rugby. And don't forget, you can now watch the full extended video podcast of today's show at londonpridebeer.co.uk. Support with pride and please drink responsibly.
2: Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby.
3: Hello and welcome to Lawrence Allias Rugby Podcast. I'm Sarah Elgin. I'm sitting in for Lawrence, who's away again in Spain this time though. He's taking on his charity cycle slam challenge which is going pretty well, I think. Joining me to chat about all of the action from the weekend, I'm delighted to welcome back a man who knows a thing or two about rugby having played for Leicester England and the Lions, Ben Kay is here. And we have the captain of Harlequins women's team and former England center Rachel Bufford, she's here as well. Rachel's also here representing the Evening Standard as she's been writing a column for them during the women's Six Nations campaign and then from the sale fan podcast the shark tank it's james makey a very warm welcome to you all Uh, rachel we'll get on to the women's six nations in depth a little bit later but um you were over in france at the weekend i saw the pictures on instagram there must have been a pretty special atmosphere there in the england france game
1: Yeah, I mean, as a player, having played in France, and I'm sure Ben would say the same, it's one of the best places to go and play. And it didn't disappoint. It was electric. The England supporters, they literally had put them in the top left-hand corner of the stadium where you could see the parents. And that was it. That was the only English fans. Oh, you did have a couple dotted around. But other than that, the French did well to try and keep the English out. But the girls did brilliantly, keeping the crowd as silent as they could with what they did on, on the pitch.
3: Okay, so we'll dive straight into it then and we'll talk about the results of the weekend. Ben, Quinn's headed to Northampton on Friday with hopes, of course, of securing their playoff spot. Saints had other ideas. they beat the champs by just one point. As a fan, as a neutral, I genuinely didn't want that game to end. It was class, wasn't
4: it? It was staggering. I don't think the Northampton fans wanted the uh, first half to end because they were running absolute riot. You know, their back line just looked supreme when they're flowing and there's a bit of space on the field. And then what a job by Harlequins to come back. And slightly controversial last penalty that yeah, Paul you said Grayson...
3: To... night, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
4: well, I mean, Paul Grayson... That's oh, Paul Grayson. James James Grayson, keep calling him Paul, I wonder where that comes from. James Grayson had to stand up and kick it from 49 metres or whatever it was. So it, was, it still took some doing. But I, you know, I've looked at it again since, and I just think, you know, it's one of those that it happens any other time in the game and no one really notices it, but the Harlequins fans are fuming because Luke Wallace did, for me, come in and affect a legitimate turnover, but he got penalised for being part of the tackle. But, you know, it just had a bit of everything that game, and if we can have that every week, please, that would be great.
3: That would be great, but this Saints side, James, i have got a bit of Jekyll and Hyde about them this season, haven't they? As opposition fans, I guess you just never quite know what you're going to get.
2: We've always thought that it's if Dan Bigger's playing or he's not playing. That's what we talk about quite a lot. We think Dan Bigger's made such a big difference to the Saints because he's just a winner. But obviously they're without Dan this Friday night. And James Grayson stood up. He's had a difficult year because, you know, George Furbank has been getting preferred at 10, which is never easy when you're a specialist in the position. But I thought he was on it all night. And the other thing I think that was so fantastic is to see the gardens like absolutely pumping again, because obviously I was watching it on TV, but it did sound like it was absolutely rocking. And I think that they're a difficult team to beat when the crowd are getting
4: behind them as much as they were.
3: Yeah, cuz I guess at the Gardens they've not been amazing at home this season. Have they been? But they're now in, in a really good position in the top 4.
4: Yeah, just a little bit inconsistent, but you know, to take James's point that the noise when that final probably when that penalty was given that I was talking about, but then when the kick went over, I don't think I've ever heard it as loud at the Gardens. And, and yeah, so that's not just being disparaging. It was just at another level to what you usually get. And you know, going into well, probably even last week, I was thinking looking at the run-ins, I reckon Gloucester might have the slightly easier run in, but you know, to win that and get the five points, put all the pressure back on Gloucester, they obviously answered that, but I think now Northampton do have the the easier run. In with, particularly with Newcastle coming up at the end but it's so tight but Saints have put themselves right into that sort of favourite spot I think to get the fourth place
3: Quins are obviously comfortable in third, but like they could have officially booked their place, couldn't they, in the top four on Friday night? Where are the reigning champs in defence of their title? Are they looking good?
4: Yeah, I mean they are because you know on any given day they can beat anyone, and whatever happens in a game, as we saw on Friday night, and a lot of the Quins fans will be saying, "Well, you know, if the referee had made the right decision at the end, we would have won it." They can be dead and buried by the looks of it, and come back and still win the game.
3: OK, let's move on then, shall we? Let's move on to uh, Sale Newcastle. And James, were you at the AJ Bell on Friday or did you watch your
2: I, well, I wasn't. I didn't make it on Friday, unfortunately, but I obviously watched the full game back. You know, it was kind of like literally a game of two halves for Sale. I think in the first half, our mind was kind of on next week against Racing. And then the second half, I think, you know, there'd clearly been some words said at halftime. I think Alex Anderson's taken a very different approach to Steve Diamond, more generally at Sale Sharks. But I think there might have been a more of a Steve Diamond moment at half-time because they came out looking like a completely different team in the second half. And don't get me wrong, Newcastle are in a terrible run of form and played like it. But we upped the tempo, we upped the physicality. And usually with those two things for sale, if we can win those collisions then, you know, we're in a good place and Rob Duprier kicked his goals and, and that that was pretty much the story of it.
3: Yeah, Ben James mentioned there about, you know, obviously, Sale have got wrestling next weekend in Europe and you do assume that, like, that would have to be at the back of their minds, right? Even for a professional, rugby player, professional coach, a big match like that has to be there somewhere.
4: Yeah, we all know they were pretty clearly out of the top four contention everything but maths, I think, but hundred percent you look at the team that was picked it was about making sure that everyone was battle hardened for the week before they could have rested a few other bodies but you don't want to do that you don't want to go in off the back of a week off to such an important game Although it wasn't the ideal, you know, everything flowing and brilliant, they found a solution to their problems. And it's much better to go out and have a better second half than the first half than the other way around when you're trying to build towards something the following week. So I'm very fortunately going to be there at La Defense Arena. So I cannot wait for that.
3: Yeah, really looking forward to that next weekend. Um, so Newcastle, a quick word on them then. They're left 33 points, I think, four away from Bath at the bottom. Dean Richards is stepping down from his role at the end of the season. James, in what sort of place does he leave the club when he goes?
2: Well, I think he's done brilliant things for, for Newcastle. I think he should be hugely celebrated and he stayed loyal to them when they've been relegated as well. I think maybe there's maybe a sense he's completed that journey now. They've got a couple of, you know, good young coaches up there, Walder et cetera. So I don't know what's happening in terms of taking them over, but they've had a difficult second half of the season. There's no question about it. You know, without George McGuigan's sort of try scoring brilliance, I really would be even more worried for them. And you consider how poor Bath has been this year and, and yet Newcastle still would have been, you know, mired in a relegation battle. So I think they do need some fresh energy and a fresh purpose. Um, and hopefully we can see them back to their best next season. Lawrence Delalio's Rugby Podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby.
3: Right, Gloucester Bath. Saturday provided plenty of entertainment for rugby fans, although not if you are a Bath fan. Ben, um, how do Bath supporters keep the faith when they have been faced with that kind of defeat this weekend?
4: Well, look, there's obviously the, the big elephant in the room that there's no relegation. I personally want relegation, but I can also see that there's a lot of people that have been desperate for a performance like this so they can hang it on the fact that there's no relegation. When actually you look back over the years and you know there's been quite a few stuffings at the end of the season of lower down teams when there has been relegation. So I don't think it's necessarily to that. I just think the wheels have fallen off at Bath completely and everyone is just waiting to see what happens next year. Not consciously, but subconsciously that has affected the players and they're running around like individuals and you've only got to be 5% off and you can be torn apart like that. The confidence isn't there. There's hesitation. Clearly, there's no direction. Now, you know, to be fair to Stuart Hooper, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it is just really sad to see. And, you know, I've been in a similar situation with Leicester over the last few years where, you know, a great club still with some fantastic players on board. And you look at some of those players that were on the pitch for Bath, you know, world class in their prime international players and they put in a performance like that. So the season just can't finish quickly enough and uh, Johan van Graam, although people are saying, oh, he'll be looking and saying, what have I done? I think he will look at that as an opportunity to come in and immediately shift the dial. And if you look at how all the teams that have recovered from you know, a significant fall off a cliff of performance, they've all done it by simplifying things. And the most important thing a coach can do is just give absolute clarity of message for how we're going to play, keep it really simple, and then put the building blocks on top of that.
3: Okay, let's talk a positive Gloucester-wise then. Because they were brilliant in attack and they were brilliant in defence. And there were we, Benny, pre-match, kind of going, oh, are they having a bit of a wobble um ahead of the playoffs? They kind of proved us wrong, right?
4: Yeah, they did. And it was nice to see, again, you know, with the caveat of, of how the opposition were playing, it was nice to see a, a bit of an all-court game. And, yeah, you, know, you look at the different areas that the try scorers came from, Reese Samick who lights up any game with his pace. You know, good to see him getting back to where he was when he first broke onto the scene in the Premiership. I think their centre pairing are, you know, the envy of a lot of teams in the Premiership. They've got the steel of Harris, but I think Harris has just been exceptional this season. Again, backing up what he did last year to get himself that recognition. So they're in a really good place, Gloucester. It's going to be fascinating how these last two games play out because they would certainly grace the playoffs.
3: Leicester-Bristol then, Tigers, they confirmed themselves a home semi-final uh, with a win over Pat Lambs' men at Welford Road. Um, And also, Ben, it was just a really fitting farewell, wasn't it, to to Tom Jens? I mean, he got a great send-off from the fans uh, for a player that's just, I don't know, he's just poured his heart and soul into that club. He's been a talisman and he's just a brilliant bloke.
4: I've never ever heard any other Premiership rugby player or around the scene have a bad word to say about him. You know, even you know, he's got into a few scraps on the pitch and things. Even afterwards, you know, you'll see him uh, you know, having a good makeup with whoever he's just had a ding dong battle with. So, but yeah, you know, I know personally that off the field when things were the darkest that they've ever been at Leicester he was literally the glue that was holding it from completely disintegrating just the most selfless rugby player I think I've ever met and the fact that he did all that while you know he was under so much enormous personal strain because of the things that were happening at home so for me one of the biggest Leicester legends there ever has been maybe people won't remember that in 20 years time because of the results at the time but certainly anyone that played with him well.
3: Great to see him getting the send-off he deserves for sure. So he was the, the main story if you like pre-match. And I guess you're in the 80 James. The main story was Chris Ashton.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's just a try-scoring machine and you know, he's been out of practice for a little while, a bit out of a club for a little while. But when you've had the career that he has, you know, across a number of different clubs now uh, in England, but also when he was in France, he just knows his way to the try-line. And you know, now he's starting to start games for Leicester. He looks like he can just score every single game. He might have lost a yard of pace. But it's the way he reads the game. He's always been able to read the game incredibly well. The amount of line breaks that he finishes off is absolutely incredible. And it's fantastic to see a, a lad from the Northwest get the try scoring record.
3: Yeah, he's been amazing, hasn't he? Fair play. Right. And Bristol, then they would have headed there full of confidence after that Gloucester win last week. Pat Lamb said they paid a price for individual errors. We've heard that quite a lot from them this season.
4: Yeah, again, it just shows the psychology of the sport. And I know they're missing people, but if you'd imagine saying a year ago that that would have been the scoreline between these two teams, people would have looked at you like you were stupid. So Leicester, total confidence in what they're doing at the moment and just felt easy for them. And Bristol everything's hesitant as a result of that confidence. And, and that's all form is, you know, form is a hesitation that means that doesn't necessarily result in an error, but the pass isn't quite out in front of a runner. So they have to check slightly, which means the cover have an extra fraction of a second to get over. And Bristol are a team, because of their style of play, that everything needs to flow with. And you look at how Quinns and Saints played on Friday night, you saw the damage that can be done when your attacking game, which is wide, can flow... And Bristol have lost that flow at the moment. So again, another team that really are looking forward to the end of the season. But they've got quite a big job to do. You know, they have lost a little bit of their sort of stardust and it's going to be tough to get it back. And particularly now they're a team that everyone this year has been gunning for because they've always been the chasing team trying to get to the top. And they got to the top last year in terms of league position. And it's quite difficult to stay there.
3: Yes, absolutely right. Worcester Sarries then. Uh, Mark McCall was pleased with the win and six tries, James, for them. And they're just pairing nicely, aren't they? With all the kind of big names coming to the fore at just the right time.
2: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're unable to rotate the squad in the way that they used to. But you see that 23 that gets picked. And, and I go to Saracen's quite a lot. It's actually my, my local club to where I live. And they're still absolutely fantastic. Such high quality. And actually, the way that this game went has managed. They were able to do quite a lot of substitutions relatively early on, so... You know, they're managing the squad through to the end of the season. And I think the thing with Saracens is, it's almost like a muscle memory. Like, okay, they've been down in the Championship for a year, but now they're in the business end of the season. They know their way to a title, basically. You know, team like Worcester, they just don't have the gears to cope with that.
3: And they've had a busy week, in fairness, haven't they? You know, Wednesday, they they booked themselves a Prem Cup final which I'm sure they were delighted with but um, yeah Steve Diamond was Steve Diamond post-match wasn't he he wasn't
1: happy
4: no but you know I think sort of he must have known what he was taking on a little bit and just because someone walks in it's suddenly not going to turn around and be brilliant but uh, maybe he's just setting the scene at the moment of what is acceptable on his watch and what isn't and you know, I get the impression that previously, yeah, the regime might have been sort of looking for the positives. Uh, Steve Diamond's not someone to do that. He'll show you what the negatives are and, and uh, gently ask you to fix them for next week.
3: <laughs> I'm not sure about the gently. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Okay, last but certainly not least, London Irish Wasps. Wasps visited Renford Community Stadium on Sunday afternoon. And wow, what an afternoon it was. Another incredible comeback by Irish and another incredible draw. What's that now? Is that like five, James, this season, I think, for
2: Irish? Yeah. I mean, and we've drawn a few at Sale. We've drawn three. And I think two of those were against Irish. I mean, I could be wrong there. I'm probably going to get loads of mail now going, oh, why have you got this sale? <laughs> fan? I don't know what he's talking about, about sale, But that's my instinct. I just thought it was such an amazing game to watch. It was literally end to end. They were playing some fantastic rugby, both teams. And actually what I really enjoyed was you know, a lot of young English talent on the pitch, talent that could play for England, I think. The likes of Tom Pearson, Henry Arundel came off the bench. I mean, Tom Parton's got to be a pretty good player to nail down that 15 slot moving forward. Great game to watch, flowing end-to-end rugby, loads of tries. Exactly what you want at this time of the year.
3: Yeah, because that was going to be my question to you, Ben, really. You know, they have got these talented youngsters in Irish at the moment, which is absolutely brilliant. But what they have got this season as well is so much fight.
4: Yeah, I guess a little bit like Harlequins, that style of game that when it's tight and sort of, you know, a bit of an arm wrestle you don't always come out on the top, but as soon as a team pulls away, it just seems to happen that you can attack that. And, you know, it's really weird, the dynamics of the game, but they're another team that no one can go, oh, we've got two tries ahead, you know, two converted tries ahead. Game's done now. they just wish this season that the Premiership was 85-minute games instead of 80, because, well, had they won those five games, they'd be in fourth now. So, you know, they're the margins. You're completely out of it, but that's the difference between qualifying and yeah, you know, to James's point, some brilliant talent. On display and Henry Arundel off the bench gets man of the match because he completely changed the game. I would be very, very surprised if he wasn't one of Eddie Jones's little project players in the summer. And he thought, right, let's just go and kind of take this kid away and have a look at him. Not necessarily for now, but just make sure that he's under the England wing rather than anyone else's.
3: Disappointing though for Wasps. I mean, Lee Blackett said at the end of the game that it felt like a big loss. And you kind of understand what he meant by that, James.
2: I think when you're that far ahead in a game you do expect to close it out and so I think psychologically they might feel that like it was a loss but like sale like Irish a lot to play for going into the end of the season to make sure you qualify for the Champions Cup next year it's really really important for the clubs commercially and, and all sorts for the players as well to put themselves you know on the biggest stage so we play Wasps next that's the next game for sale in the Premiership it'll be a quick turnaround I think for us after the wrestling game so that's going to be almost like a cup final for that top 7 or 8
3: and of course the Gallagher Premiership rugby final will be taking place at Twickenham the home of English rugby on the 18th of June so tickets are already selling very quickly so make sure you get yours and join us for an afternoon of world class rugby action what promises to be unmissable entertainment more information is available online at eticketing.co.uk forward slash Premiership Rugby
0: Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, and this episode of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast is brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions.
4: Outstanding with Fuller's London Pride.
3: Okay, so time for us now to choose who you guys think was the outstanding player from the weekend. Uh, Rachel, let's start with you. I'm guessing it's going to have to be Rose. Am I right?
1: Yeah, and I doubt any of you will argue with me on this one, but I think I can't look past Emily Scarrett because... Obviously, with her journey with her legs, she came back into the Six Nations and she's quietly gone about her business. But this weekend had to lead the side out with Sarah Hunter getting injured. But she was just phenomenal. Her kicking boots were on, absolutely rocked in the conversions and the penalty. But there was a moment in the game where France could have got back into it with a huge line break from Emily Boulard. And out of nowhere, Emily Scarrett comes across, does this incredible cover tackle five metres out from try line? And I think that was for me the moment of the match. And that's why I'm going to say Emily Scarrett James, what about
2: you? Well, I think it's difficult to look too far beyond Chris Ashton's try scoring this weekend, you know, becoming the try scoring record and it's been sitting there. He probably thought he wasn't going to get there at the end of the season, not finding a club. But I think that's been a very clever signing for Leicester. And I, th- I was pleased for him, even, you know, seeing as an ex sale player to get over the line and get the record so good for him.
4: Benny? It's a tough one for me because I, I want to pick someone from one of the best games I've seen in the premiership, which was Harlequins against Saints on Friday night. It was just had absolutely everything. I'll tell you who I'm going to go for. And actually, it's not about the skill level or anything, though you could have picked any of those Saints players in the back line. You could have had Hugh Jones or Marchant for that unbelievable save of the ball going out and then Hugh Jones scores. But I'm going to go for Courtney Laws. Anyone who's seen the picture of his thumb that's basically been completely snapped off his hand two weeks earlier and he goes back and plays a full game and plays really, really well. So bionic man, how he's got back from an open dislocation of the thumb when it's literally hanging by its skin to play like that just shows what a great player he is.
3: Rachel, let's turn our attention then to the women's game. England sealing another Grand Slam of the Six Nations. You there, as a
1: fan, you were working on it. How did you feel watching them? it was awesome I think we've all been anticipating this game like right from the start of the Six Nations everyone was talking about it's going to be England France in the end and the spectacle didn't disappoint early on France you know came out drew first blood and all of us are like okay we've got a game on now and it rattled England a little bit but they didn't you know lose their composure or worry at any point and they weren't behind for that long It we just showed that England are a different class and at a different level and it was quite simple their game plan but they executed it really well and that's that's where the difference between the two teams, like France could have won that game, but they crumbled under the pressure. Their lineout didn't function. Their scrum was still competitive, but that was two areas that England actually came out on top against them. Going into that game, France were ahead of them in both their lineout success and their scrum success. So for them to turn it around under so much pressure and deliver at critical moments, you know, they took their opportunities where France didn't. But yeah, and it just silenced the crowd. And I think, you know, England kicked on. It was a tight game. they have been tested, which they hadn't quite been as much throughout the Six Nations so far. But it's good to see them come out on top. Um, there are still some questions to be answered and England are going to have to find some different ways to attack as well. They can't just rely on their driving more because that's what won them the game. But overall, you know, the amount of pressure that England are on as well in terms of the consecutive wins that they're on, going for another Grand Slam, all eyes on them. There's a huge expectation that comes with playing as well as they do and having all the records that they have and then trying to do that in France with 90% of the spectators against you but overall you know brilliant spectacle it lived up to everything that we expected but it's funny we started talking to some of the players post game and obviously they're really proud of the moment they're going to go and celebrate which they did but they're already thinking you know we've got a lot of hard graft to do over the summer everybody's obviously seen the best of us and we've got to go away and work on some other things so that mindset that they've got to continue to want to drive the standard and made better. I love that they're looking at it like that. They scored 282 points in the competition this
3: year, which is unbelievable, Ben.
4: Huge. And Rachel's, I think, the most important thing for them. And it fell really nicely that, you know, the France game was the last one. Everything on it, it's a grand slam for both sides. And to be away from home in, you know, the sort of atmosphere that, you can only really get in France will give them such an important foundation for what's to come at the World Cup because as Rachel said everyone guns for them but not only that every crowd they play in front of whether they're playing New Zealand or or, you know playing whoever they will want England to lose and to have that background of you know when the pressure's on we know we can sort of block out all that surrounding noise and make it white noise and just focus on what we need to do is massively important you know had they played at home against France one quite easily, there'd still be that nagging doubt in the back of your mind. What happens if the game doesn't go our way? What happens if we make a few mistakes? You know, it's fine when things are going well and we're winning by fifty points, but when we get into an arm wrestle, which at some point during a World Cup campaign you're going to, have we got the tools to do it? And 2003, we'd cocked up a couple of Grand Slam opportunities in the years leading up to 2003. And Clive Woodward, quite bravely really, said to us, if you don't beat Ireland at Lansdowne Road this week, you won't win the World Cup. Simple as that. And put that pressure on us. Now, dread to think what he would have said afterwards had we not won, but we played really well and it was a tough, tough game. And that was probably the single biggest lift we got going into the World Cup.
3: Let's talk about Wales then. Will they feel like they've taken a little step back after the defeat this
1: weekend? I think if they were to look at their campaign as a whole, they'll probably be really pleased of where they've kind of got to. You know, their first two rounds, winning both of those and winning them at the death as well. You know, the one against Scotland right at the end, not giving up, getting a turnover on their line to keep Scotland out. And the way that they bounce back against France, but it would have 100% highlighted the areas that they have to get right before the Rugby World Cup. And, you know, they've got six months to work on that. So I think overall, they'll be happy, but they'll know that they let that one go this weekend, you know, just as a penalty right at the end. And Michaela Silleri, the thirteen from Italy, has got the best kicking percentages of the entire competition. So you can't afford to be loose in those final plays. So they'll be gutted about that result. But I think when they look back as a whole, there'll be plenty that they're pleased with.
3: Yeah, it definitely feels like we're in a better place, you know, from the outside looking in for sure. Right. And that <laughs> Scotland-Ireland game then, that was another nail-biter. Scotland was so close.
1: Yeah, I feel like for Scotland, if you look at them on paper, they've got some unbelievable talent, but they're one of the teams that don't have huge contracts. So their time together is very limited. Prior to all of this, they had all the World Cup qualifiers, which is extremely exhausting physically, mentally, emotionally, the amount of times it was changed. I just think they came into this probably pretty overcooked around all the work that they've had to put in. I think it's been a really tough Six Nations for them. They're a better side than what their results have produced. And then Ireland, you know, it's a similar story. They've had so much kind of off-pitch distraction. But again, how do we expect players to consistently perform at a level where they're conflicted with a 7s and a 15s programme? They've got players who are full-time working and then, you know, assembling two days before a test match. It's been a really tough time for that squad. And I think, you know, to end on a win the way that they did as well in the final play, you know, hopefully that's the thing to kick them off. But it's still a tough place for Ireland to be in. So looking at positives, what do you think will be the real takeaway stories from the Six Nations this year? I think having the Six Nations in its own window is completely allowed it to isolate the women and just focus on them. And it wasn't just in England that we had ruffle crowds. Wales also had ruffle crowds. Same in Ireland. And I just think, you know, the momentum that is gathered now, especially going into the World Cup, is amazing. And the viewing figures via TV as well that we've had, I think they're probably the big takeaways. For years, we've been talking about this, especially female. players and people who are coaching it or whatever saying you know there's an appetite for the game people want to watch it and i think we've talked about it for so long and now we're finally here we're in the moment where we can really kick on and really use this sport to grow it completely not just in the women's game and so it's just been really proud to see and be a part of it and i think the overall look at how well this six nation has gone in terms of fan engagement and eyeballs on the game it has been remarkable
3: So James, time for you to give us a lowdown on your club podcast, The Shark Tank. Am I right saying that you met your co-hosts on Twitter? Was it a kind of sliding into my DMs kind of situation, or did you just agree on certain points?
2: That's exactly right. Like all relationships these days, (laughs) you meet online, right? So, yeah, we did sort of just, you know, sort of ranting about whatever relegation battle we're in in at the time, probably. And then we sort of arranged to meet for a couple of pints in what was called the Shark Tank then, the marquee at the AJ Bell. And we just hit it off now, and we're good mates. We live all around the world. Lewis, who started it up, is now over in Australia, actually. So we're keeping that going on the time difference is something, but... I think if we weren't the first fan podcast around, we were like near the front for sure. We're four years in now. We absolutely love it.
3: The podcast blurb reads as um, a detailed, irreverent and Occasionally cynical look at all things sales. So, my question to you is like, who's the detail? Who's the cynical? (laughs) Have you all got (laughs) kind of like parts to play or do you all just like crack on?
2: No, they're the hats that we'll probably swap on on a daily basis because we've all got real jobs, right? You know, we're not trying to like be in the media here or become journalists or something. We're just three lads who like talking about sale. Now, when you're from the Northwest, there isn't a lot of like rugby union media around to be honest to sort of devour. It's pretty niche stuff in and amongst all of the rugby league and all of the football around so you know that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do it really we were like well apart from the club where else can people get any content on sale so that's what why we wanted to start it up really and unfortunately people don't mind the sound of our voices and, and keep in and in which is it shocks me it certainly shocks all my friends I mean they might actually listen to this one I
3: love that um <laughs> managed to get any players on
2: Yeah, we have. Yeah, we we get players on pretty regularly. I mean, to be fair, the club are massively supportive of us. I think they're aware that, you know, there there aren't many outlets about sale in the media. So they're really good at providing players. So just a huge thank you for everybody at Sales Sharks for continuing to support the Shark Tank podcast. 100%. And you've had some
3: entertaining directors of rugby, Steve Diamond, always good value. Have you spoken to him? Have you interviewed him?
2: Do you know what? We never did, Steve. And I don't think Alex Anderson really understands podcasts. He, He seems so modern in so many ways but I think podcasts for him apparently is not not his nice thing but we will get him on we never had Dimes which was just gutting such a legend
3: yeah I love talking to Steve Diamond you Benny like genuinely you just don't know what's going to come out
4: I love when you speak to him and we're watching and we're just hoping that you cock up and say something you shouldn't and (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: that's nice
3: to know (laughs) Thanks, <laughs> he is
4: always good value. And what's always good, like he's got a look on his face where you know he's just about to throw a hand grenade in before the end of the interview. Yeah, and, and he always away. does. We too. can pick up on, and then we're, no. we're, we're, we're all excited, yeah.
3: So you mentioned you'd like to get Alex on. Like I think Alex would be great on. He's he's so good. Anyone else you'd, you'd like to take to on the podcast?
2: Yeah, we're always really interested. Like the club are investing a lot in their academy, obviously big catchment area in the Northwest. So we'd love to get someone like Neil Briggs on, who's involved in the Academy, Fergus Mulcrane as well, who's been playing down at Sale FC. And the other thing that we'd really love to do is do like a live event. You know, we'd love to like get a clubhouse somewhere in the Northwest, maybe over at Coldy, now that they've just been promoted to the championship. That'll be a fantastic place to go and do a season preview or something like that
3: what's this i hear about you getting rubbed into doing some modeling gigs for the club james
2: oh uh, well i mean as you can see i don't think this we've been chosen particularly for our looks but again this is the club uh, maybe the marketing budget's been like cut or something because we got we got a little shout out just to say okay come along and model the new shirts for the year so with like photos videos marketing promos on the website i mean no wonder sales are down this year <laughs>
3: You've ever done any rugby modelling, Ben I'm sure you have in your day.
4: Well, just being told to wear the shirt and stand in front of a camera, yeah. Funnily <laughs> enough. Oh, oh, I know where this is going. Go on, Sarah, tell us about your modelling career. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <laughs>
2: Every time you're on this podcast, it always comes something about your previous career, like you well, know, that you've been in, modelling oh, oh, yeah. yeah thank you for bringing
3: that up again. Anyway, <laughs> very quickly, I'm running out of time, so let's move on.
2: Over the line or in the bin with Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership Rugby.
3: Okay, so those of you who uh, listen regularly will know that we try to impart a, a bit of rugby trivia into the podcast with our game Over the Line
1: or In the Bin. Rachel, it's on you this week. You're the quiz master. What have you got for us? Thanks, Sarah. So you have to just make a decision whether it's over the line, which means that it's true, or it's in the bin, it means that it's false. So Jess Breach, Zoe Harrison, Ellie Kildan and Hannah Bottman, who are all part of the Grand Slam win this weekend, they all made their test debut for England on the 25th of November in 2017 against Canada. Now to mark this occasion of their first international cap, all the girls said, right, let's get matching tattoos with the date. Is that over the line or in the bin? Start with you, Ben.
4: Oh, just because I want it to be true. Over the line.
1: (laughs) Sarah? I'm going to say over the line as well. I'm going to
2: go in the bin then, just to differentiate myself.
1: Well, James, you are correct, because it's actually in the bin. So, according to Jess Breach, they all shook on this before the game and said, right, we're going to go get the tattoos done, have the agreement, but she's the only one who went ahead and got the rose and the date tattooed onto her, bot- onto her body. Onto
4: her... <laughs>
1: <laughs> onto
4: her I mean body, I mean body.
1: <laughs> body, body,
3: body. <laughs> Brilliant. We'll take being wrong because that's a good story. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for your time. I know you've got to get back to training now. Really appreciate your time today. Cheers. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. So another couple of weeks to wait then until the next round of uh, the Premiership. There's more European rugby. We've already spoken a little bit about it. I've been so many matchups uh, to get excited about, none more so than Leicester-Leinster on Saturday. How do you see that playing out?
4: No idea. Usually I'd say Leinster with how they're playing, everything behind them. But just there's so much momentum behind Leicester at the moment. If it was over in Dublin, I'd be less confident. I still think Leinster are favourites, but it is just the dream fixture, I think, for so many people to watch. An inform Leicester against the might of Leinster. Yeah, it's going to be an absolute corker. Cool I, as I said, Leinster are favourites, so I'll have to sort of back them. But but I've got a sneaky feeling that uh, it won't be uh, quite as easy as some people think. No,
3: it's going to be good. And James, we've touched upon it already. How are you feeling about sales chances against Racing? Ben and I are going there. We're really excited. Our French will be on point as ever. But It's going to be good, isn't it?
2: It's going to be great. I think it's going to be a tough gig. Racing, you look at their team, it's just absolutely outrageous. So I think if we can go there and be in the game after 50, 60 minutes and get the crowd a bit itchy, then that's our best chance.
3: How do you think that'll go, Ben?
4: Look, you'd expect Racing, with with everything being at home, you'd expect them to front up, so I'll say that. But Sale could play a type of game that Racing don't like. I think everyone turning up with a French accent, apart from you putting one on, on uh, Sunday, will be expecting this sort of procession and glamour rugby to be played, but it won't be that. My French accent is amazing. Merci. Say Bordeaux, sir.
3: Bordeaux.
4: That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Listen
3: to me now, right? How would you say, so if I say Bordeaux like a Welsh person, it would be Bordeaux. But then if I try and say, like, you guys, I sound like, I don't know, like, someone from Only Fools of Horses, because I go (laughs) Bordeaux. I can't win, really. I prefer the Welsh way of going Bordeaux. Anyway, on that note, that is all for this episode. A big thank you to Rachel, of course, um, James Maidley and Benke. Thank you, gents. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Lawrence and the podcast will be back in a few weeks' time, ready to cover all the results from round 25 of the Premiership. In the meantime, thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon.
2: Lawrence Delalio's rugby podcast, supported by Fuller's London Pride, the official beer of Premiership rugby.